Hello, I'm Alex Meyerhofer. And I'm Paul Meyerhofer. Welcome to Job Talk, the podcast where we give you an inside look at interesting jobs and how to get there. Today, we speak with Harley Berman, a radio frequency engineer at Markey Microwave. Harley went to Tam High in Marin County and graduated from the University of California, Santa Cruz with a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. Welcome to Job Talk, Harley. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I am doing quite well. How are you, Paul and Alex? We're doing good. So to start off, what do you do as an RF engineer? I'll start with just telling you a bit about the company that I work for, and that would be a pretty good lead into what it is that I do every day and what an RF engineer is at Markey Microwave. So Markey Microwave, we started, the company was founded in 1991, designing RF and microwave components. What, what those are, are components that go into systems that use RF and microwaves, where these are different from the microwaves that you may find in your kitchen. These are typically used for communication or radar applications. So we serve that market, um, helping people make RF systems. What that means for me as an engineer at the company, um, doing a lot, working hands-on with the parts, doing a lot of component characterization. So in order to prove the worth of our parts that we're selling, we need to release documentation so that other engineers that want to use our parts know how they're going to perform under various conditions. So that's one big part, characterizing components and releasing what are called data sheets. Another big aspect of the job, which goes right in hand with component characterization, is we sell really high performance parts at Marky Microwave. So what customers want to make sure of is if they are going to buy, say, hundred parts and they're going to put it in, in space. So it will never be able to be serviced. It's extremely high reliability. Before they place a large order and make a big design, they'll work with someone like me at the company where we will discuss what their project is, what sort of parts they need. And then I'll go in the background and run a bunch of experiments. If, if they want, if they're, if they're going to put the parts at a specific temperature, for example, like it's going to see extreme hot and cold temperatures and it's going to be under this this really unique plan, this unique frequency plan, which is the signals going into and out of it. What we'll do is we'll characterize the parts they want under their specific conditions and, you know, have a discussion with them of, yes, it will work. No, it won't work. Here's how we can, here's what we can do to make it work. So a lot of that sort of interfacing with customers and making sure that they have the right parts for their system. And then there's a lot of behind the scenes work, doing a lot of prototyping work. So when we're considering releasing a new part or we hear with people in the sales department, they're constantly meeting with customers and maybe they'll have a conversation with someone where they will learn, oh, you know, we would really like if they someone made a filter with these specs out in, in the market right now. Nobody has it. So right now we're just doing all this other stuff. But if someone made this, we'd spend a million dollars on it in a year. Well, that, that's something that we would like to fill that slot. So that'll go to our R&D department where we will go over the specs, see if we can hit it, how we can hit it. This is working really close with the design team and the production team. And then working on R&D, which is research and development, R&D prototyping. So that's another big aspect of the job. It was said to me when I first started, if you go a day without uh, like sitting in front of a piece of equipment and hands-on running a test, you're probably doing something wrong. So it's a, it's a very hands-on job, running a lot of tests and talking with people. Do you like the hands-on aspect? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, why, that's like why I went into this field. I have always enjoyed 
having the end product be something you can hold and touch and see and working with your hands the whole way is really rewarding for me. I also really like understanding why these things are working because it's very cool. When you work with radio frequencies and microwave frequencies, you get to use some really cool fields of physics and the way things work. When you learn how something actually works, it's very cool because typically it's something that you wouldn't really have thought of, but when it's explained, it's like, wow, that's really, really interesting. And I've always, ever since high school, really enjoyed my physics classes. So, you know, I really like the hands-on aspect, but I also like understanding why these things are working the way they are. Those would definitely be my top two favorite aspects of the job. How does your job make the world a better place? You know, there's a million ways that we help the world. Helping advanced research. We're heavily in the quantum computing industry. Uh, most quantum computers out right now use marquee microwave components on them. But another aspect of the job, I'd say close to half of our customer base is in defense work. And defense would be contractors such as Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, these major, major defense contractors, which make cool stuff. They make satellites and jets and stuff, but they also make missiles. So, you know, you do have to wrestle with the idea of you're making high performance parts and people want highest performance and the systems that they go into may be going to a guided missile system. And that's something you have to keep in mind. The way I've uh, rationalized it within my own head has been if we're making anything high performance, like if we were making high performance microcontrollers, you can't really control what your customers are going to use it for. You're just doing the best work you can. Mm-hmm. When you're working with a defense contractor, a lot of times they want custom parts and that falls directly on me because I deal with all the custom parts. So I, in this new role, work very closely with some of them. And it's just interesting to know, you know, what the end, what the end result of your, of your, of your work is. Yeah, it's definitely not black and white. I've visited customers before and they'll, you know, it's very openly discussed. They know they are making Mm -hmm. weapons. Like they don't, they don't hide it. They will say like, we are like, uh, they they don't want to use leaded solder because it's bad for the environment, but it's going on a missile. (laughs) You know, it's like. It's just, it's just those interesting conversations you have. Uh, so like what marquee microwave parts go into when we sell to defense contractors? Broad umbrella category of electronic warfare, which what that means is radar, radar and anti-radar. So being able to see out and being able to not be detected. That's the type of stuff. Another thing that another, so that's one, navigation. So what you're navigating, you know, who knows, but navigation and then communication and also jamming. We sold to a company who used it to build a module that kept U.S. soldiers from getting, from improvised explosive devices, from getting those to explode because how they would set those off is they would call a cell phone and it would set it off. But if we have a jammer in the car, no cell phone signal is going within a 30 foot radius of the vehicle. So that might be something that they'd use a jammer and that uses a bunch of RF components. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your job as a microwave engineer will increase in relevance or is there a possibility that the relevance of your job could decrease over time? 
That's a fantastic question. That is certainly something that we think about and talk about at work very openly. When we when the company was first founded, the president of the company primarily made microwave mixers. And what a mixer does is it takes one frequency in and then it translates it to another frequency. So typically what you do is you modulate a, a signal or a code of sort into, into a carrier wave, and then you down convert that through a mixer to a lower frequency so that it can go to an analog to digital converter and get processed digitally. Another interesting aspect of RF in general is the ability for AI and machine learning to help advance the field. We're, we're doing little bits of research into that right now at our company for things like filter design. Because so we have a lot of filters on our website that we sell and they're pretty w- wide bands so of general purpose. However, if you want a more specialized application of one, then you might want to have, you might want to put it into a filter wizard of sorts where it, it designs it for you. So that, that would be another application. As for sort of just the testing, someone's got to be there to run a test, you know? Even someone, I mean, we have automated test machines that we use where we can put out a tray of parts and it comes with like a robotic arm, picks it up, puts it down in test fixture and saves the data. So, I mean, we have stuff like that, but even that needs to be started by somebody. In terms of your career and education, how did you get to where you are? The biggest push for me doing what I'm doing now was my high school physics class because I loved that class. I've always had an interesting relationship with physics classes, which was I loved the classes and thought the material was so interesting. I was never extremely good at it. Like I never did amazing in the classes, but I found it interesting enough that I was willing to continue to enroll in those classes and and explore that area of interest. And then when I went to college, so I took physics my senior year of high school and then I went to college and I wasn't studying any sort of hard science when I first started. Fortunately, I went, I went to school at UC Santa Cruz. When I was there, they make it extremely easy to switch your major around. So when I was accepted and I started, I was studying psychology as my, as my bachelor's. Then I changed to robotics. And then I changed again. I wanted to change to physics and I ended up changing from robotics to electrical engineering. So I took that physics class in high school and I loved it. Again, it was hard and I I wasn't the best at it, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and took the classes. And then when I got to Santa Cruz, I changed my major around two times. I went from psychology to robotics and then from robotics to electrical engineering. The, The main reason for that switch, the initial psychology to robotics switch was the, you know, I just really wanted to take some more physics classes. It would have been really difficult to enroll in a physics class as a psychology student at Santa Cruz. So I did that. And then the switch from robotics to electrical engineering was just a minor change that I still wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. And then I figured robotics was a bit more narrow than the field of electrical engineering, which is a bit more broad. So I just wanted more opportunities at that point. It wasn't until my junior year, towards the end of it, I took a class on RF hardware design, which is essentially my current job. And that was very similar to my physics class where it was really cool, really interesting stuff, but also really hard. And I wasn't doing fantastic in the class, but I enjoyed the, the, the concepts. And I remember having conversations with my friends in the class and we were all saying the same thing, which was 
wow, this class is so cool, but I would never want to be an RF engineer because this is just, this is just so hard. But I got through the class and I felt such a sense of accomplishment that the next time the class was offered, I tutored the class and just, you know, solidified the information in my head. And then I took some graduate courses at Santa Cruz on, you know, similar topics and just ate them up. I, I absolutely loved those classes. And then what actually got me to my current job was through just through a career fair on campus, actually. It's kind of funny. So UC Santa Cruz, we have, we have career fairs, like general career fairs, where you'll have everything from like the Santa Cruz library, like farms in the area. I think like the Santa Cruz police department was there and Marky Micro was there. And I met them there. What's funny though, is Santa Cruz has an engineering specific career fair where all the engineering companies go to and all the engineering students go there. But this one was the general one. So I was one of like two electrical engineers that they spoke to that day. So I actually got kind of lucky in that they, they didn't t- speak to too many people and they spoke to me and I had the exact experience they wanted. What had helped me with the, that job was in that class I was telling you guys about, we built a radio or a radio receiver. And I, I, I say that that project there essentially got me my job because that, that led me to when I spoke about that project with them at the career fair, that led them to pull me in for an interview. And a lot of the interview was spent talking about that project and, you know, what, what would you have done differently here and there? But yeah, really that class got me where I am and getting that initial exposure to what is the world of RF. And you mentioned that you found the RF engineering classes really difficult in college and your physics class in high school difficult. Do you find your current job difficult, like what you do day to day? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar. It's similar in that it's difficult, but very rewarding. I've learned a lot in my, I've been working for almost a year and a half now, and I've learned quite a bit in this time. But yeah, there's definitely times where I am, I wouldn't say struggling because there's a good support network at work for when you're having trouble, but certainly wrapping my head around some of the design concepts that we use and some of the design tricks we use. Yeah, that's, that's very, very complicated sometimes. Fortunately, everyone I work with all, uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know, before COVID when we were all in the office, everyone was very, very smart and very nice, but very eager to teach and willing and happy to teach you. So it was not unheard of if you didn't understand something to just be pulled aside, get a whiteboard out and like it's tutoring session right, right in the middle of the day. It, it's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So you can yeah, it is. continue to learn even in your job. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I've fortunately, the RF microwave component engineer, that whole role is fairly loosely defined. And it's a um, small enough company, you wear a lot of hats, and you get to try out a lot of things. So a lot of my time in the beginning was writing what are called application notes. An application note is something every single big component manufacturer puts out, which is essentially a a short article on how to use our parts, basically just take a part, devise an experiment, run the experiment that shows off how great it is. And then you write a page or two of what your experiment was, why it's so great, and you post it online. And it's really helpful. I wrote one when I first started that we regularly send out to customers because it's a lot quicker when we get an email in with a question to just address, if we get asked the same question five times, to just address it in an article once and send that out. Because that's another big part of the job, as I said earlier, people call, uh, calling and emailing in with questions. So if you make a, if you make a mistake, let's say. I've done that. 
working on a component. How do you deal with stuff like that? Is it high risk? If you break a component, that's fine. Because that's what we build, you know? We we may sell uh, a mixer for $400, but it, it might only cost us a fraction of that to build it. So if you're if you mess up a test and you break a component that we make, for the most part, that's you shouldn't be doing that all the time, but it's not a huge, it's not the end of the world. Breaking test equipment, that's a bigger deal. Fortunately, I haven't broken our test equipment yet. Although I've heard stories from other people that have been there longer of people breaking those typically just by putting too much power into them. And that's scary because some of those machines we use are several hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I do not want to be the one that breaks those. So no, you know, it's all a learning process. It's total, and you know, if I did, I wouldn't wouldn't be in trouble. I mean, it would if I did it twice, I might be in trouble. But if I if you know, it's 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 expected for you to make mistakes. Breaking components is fine. Test equipment less fine. The other mistake you could make is if a customer is asking a question regularly, they'll email support at markymicrowave.com. It's on all of our data sheets. If you have any questions, email us, and someone like either me or my friend Cam might get back to you. Another mistake you can make is messing up that uh, customer data if they ask you to send you something. That's probably a bigger deal because not only are you giving the customer incorrect uh, information, it doesn't make us look uh, great if our engineers don't know what we're talking about. But, you know, even that, you know, I've done that. We're all new at some point. It's a forgiving work environment. How is your day or week structured? Before coronavirus, it was I'd show up in the morning typically comb through some emails and that will usually give me a list of things to do because usually, oh, every day we get questions from customers, either how to use the parts or for custom data. So I'll usually start my day going through that and addressing that kind of stuff, running any tests that I need to for customers and any sort of short-term same day items that need to get done, I'll do those. And then just about every engineer has two three long-term projects that we're also tracking. So, you know, chipping away at those as the week goes on. Long-term projects, those would be new product introduction. So after the R&D phase that I was uh, explaining earlier, once we've done the R&D and we've characterized it and we think people will buy this, we still need to go through the next stage of the process of actually pushing the product to release. So that's making the data sheet, um, and doing all the background documentation. So that's that's one sort of long-term project people might be doing. I'd say most engineers are working on that. Personally, I do, if you were to email Marky Microwave and ask for a custom part, because we make custom parts, I would be the guy you're working with. So I do all of our custom product, I guess product management, going from defining specs for the customer through the prototyping phase or the R&D, the prototyping phase through production and, you know, getting full-scale production units out on the, onto shipping and out to the customers. That's the sort of long-term projects I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I know other people, for example, one of my coworkers, he's working on trying to determine how to better do our solder assembly of our surface mount parts. So we have some parts that just, you just put it on top of the board like this, and just melt a bit of metal down to hold it down. And so he's working on making that process a little bit better. So chipping away at those long-term projects is, you know, always done throughout the week. And do you have a concrete schedule for any given day or a week or a month? 
a schedule like no we don't have to like track hours or anything it's more you know when your deadlines need to be hit so just make sure you hit them for example so for mine uh, a lot of custom projects it's fairly simple a customer will call me or call the company and say we want a hundred custom mixers and we talk we define the specs and before i actually go through the r d phase and the prototyping phase we send them a quote and we tell them when we're going to ship it so we kind of have to work around that for, for my, for that. That's a good example for that. For our NPI, uh, which is new product introduction or our new product introduction, which is the stuff all engineers are working on. Uh, we have a general idea of when we want to release, keep our parts moving out. So that's kind of like, it takes only so long to characterize a mixer or characterize a filter. Where do you see your career going? Hmm. Good question. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to maximize the aspects of my job that I like and do more of that. So what that is, is I love the hands-on aspect. I love working with cutting edge technology and new unreleased parts is very exciting. Being able to be the first one to verify performance before anyone else is, you know, it's the cool feeling to be able to pull, uh, you set up a measurement and someone walks by and they'll ask you what you're testing and be able to really blow their mind with what you're testing. I like that. So being hands-on and working with parts, I want to keep on doing that. Another aspect is working with the customers and talking to them, you know, depending on the customer. The, the fun ones, it's nice to pick up a call and chat with them and ask how their weekend's been and get down to business and figure out a plan for how we're going to get parts out the door. I thoroughly enjoy that too. So in my future, I see myself doing a lot more of that where that could be or like what sort of role that might be. I'm not as, I'm not as sure. That's what I like about Marky is that it, the company is fairly small too. I don't know if I mentioned that there's less than 150 employees total and a huge, a big number of that total employees are assemblers. Since it's such a small company, you got to try out a lot of different things. So with this custom projects, I've been trying out, you know, designing custom things, but as also, project management and seeing how I enjoy that. I enjoy the opportunity to test out a bunch of things before I'm pinpointed into a specific role. So sounds like you have a lot of, you're, you have a lot of freedom in your role, which- Oh yeah, that's totally true. That's totally true. Like for example, what I was saying when it first started and I got to write app notes, the way we typically do app notes is you do just, if you think of an experiment and you just run it. I mean, you tell your boss and then you just run it. Maybe your boss will tell you, oh, that's great. Try this and this and this also, you know? But that that was, that was I thoroughly enjoyed doing that when I first started just because it's so, you just get to kind of go in and run the test and experiment. And it was sort of like school in that you're doing a lab and writing a report. It was, it was easy transition from school to work. But yeah, very free to explore and do other things. And also it's not uncommon at all. You know, again, when we were all in the office, when you're running a cool experiment or it's a test we don't run often, for example, it's less common for a customer to ask us to, or it's more common for someone to ask us to run a test of something at a really hot temperature versus at an extremely high power. So when we do get that rare question, hey, can you test it at this extremely high power? It's, it's not uncommon to grab a group of engineers and say, hey, I'm going to run this test. 
anybody want to tag along and learn how we run this test so that you can do it next time? And is that the sort of thing you saw yourself doing in high school or in college? In high school, certainly not. In college, yes, more so. More so in college, once I started taking engineering classes. In high school, prior to senior year when I took physics, I it's not that I didn't know what I wanted to do. It's just I didn't really think about what I wanted to do. If I had thought about it hard, I probably would have done, I probably would have wanted to do music or something. Mm-hmm. So it took, it took the inspiration of taking physics in, in, at Tam High with Mr. Lab. That was a fantastic class. Yeah. So for you, it sounds like the physics class was really influential in getting you into the scale. Yeah, extremely. So let's say someone wanted to become a uh, RF engineer or some other kind of engineer. Sure. Similar in a similar field. What would you recommend they do? What do you think is one of the best things they could get themselves into? Mm, that's a great question. School-wise, definitely take the, take a physics class and see if you like it. That's a great uh, litmus test to see if, if it, that's a career for you. Take math classes and see if you like math as well. Electrical engineering, there's a, quite a bit of math in it. I, I can't speak for other fields, but I'm sure there's a, a lot of math. And so as far as school goes, that kind of stuff. Extracurricular activities... My job, for example, is very hands-on. So, you know, doing things with your hands. When I was really young, I was really into woodwork, woodworking and making things out of wood. I don't know if that directly translated other than working with your hands. Another thing you could do is get like little cheap microcontrollers like this guy. And with this, it must cost like $10. You can do a million different projects with something like this. And it's a great platform to kind of begin exploring engineering and designing and developing your own projects. Um, and this just is, is an Arduino, if you've, if you've heard of that. Um, yeah, so I'd say hands-on projects and taking math and physics in high school and making sure you like it because <laughs> that you, you're going to have to like that kind of stuff. In terms of schoolwork, did performing well in school directly translate to you doing well in a job? Yes, I would say 100% yes. My career in college, when I first, it, it took me a while to take it as seriously as I needed to, I would say. My first year, I struggled a little bit to get used to what it means to study in college. And then I made a, a, a switch or switched my thinking around and starting like beginning of my second year, I just really went all, all into studying and gave it my all. And it really did pay off. I did quite well. And I do think that got me my job because my boss or my boss's boss has mentioned it directly to me. So mm-hmm. I, it is very important to do well in school. It is very important. Yeah. Okay. It's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. He, he said to me also not that long ago, something along the lines of, Oh, something, 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 but I'm sure Harley can handle it. He had a high GPA. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, it, it, it is important. I, I heard, I've heard way too many of my classmates when I was in school think that GPA is not important. It's not the be all end all, but it certainly is not unimportant. Mm-hmm. How did the pressure change from going from high school, maybe to college, and then finally the job as an engineer? I like the job the most. The transition, the initial shock from high school to college was a lot. 
because it's a totally different way that you're studying. You're not surrounded by uh, your friends that you've gone to school with your whole life. You're in a classroom with 400 people and a professor that has taught this for 20 years and just on repeat. It's, it's totally different. So I found that to be a hard beginning transition. My advice for people going into college, no matter what you're studying, what helped me get that kind of initial turnaround was taking advantage of campus resources. Oh my gosh, UC Santa Cruz has, I'm sure other schools have it too, but UC Santa Cruz has amazing tutoring resources for almost every single class they offer on campus. I started enrolling in every single class I took, I enrolled with at least one, if not two tutors and just spent almost all of my free time either in tutoring, accepting tutoring, tutoring classes that I took before or in study groups and just, you know, doing what you had to do to understand the material because it was all new to me. I, I didn't, I never had any electronics background growing up. So it was, it was, it was brand new and I needed to do something to change how I was learning. Now the transition from college to work was difficult, difficult and easy for other reasons. In college, it's nice because you go to class and, or you do or don't go to class and then you show up for the final and no matter what, you're not getting attendance taken. It's not like you're not gonna get paid to go to lecture. With work, and when I first started, the biggest shock for me was the everyday aspect of it. It was five days a week and there weren't like, a, there wasn't a summer vacation. That was kind of hard at first. But, you know, once I got over that initial shock, I much prefer work. I'm doing exactly what I, the, what I most enjoyed about school. I get to do that every day. And I get to do it with people that I, for the most part, really do enjoy working with. It's, it's really nice. And, you know, getting paid versus paying to go to school is right. far more enjoyable. <laughs> so do you, do you get paid enough to live comfortably? Yeah, I think about that all the time, how fortunate I am to not only just have a job despite the current situation, but you have one that allows me to live this lifestyle. I have two cats and I love them so much and I work allows me to take care of them. I have, I have a housemate in a nice apartment. He's a good friend of mine from Santa Cruz. And yeah, I feel really fortunate to be able to afford this lifestyle. So yeah, I was good friends with other students at UC Santa Cruz who were also really into RF. So I know from at least three companies in San Jose, the Bay Area, which, so you got to keep in mind, it's a high cost of living area, starting salaries in the range of a low of about 75,000 to a high of about 90,000 fresh out of school. Uh, and that's base. Typically, you'll get a higher on bonus. I think the range for that, again, these are all going to be sort of big ranges because it's three different companies, but 3,000 to 10,000. Stock options, Marky is a privately held company, so we don't get stock options. We have profit sharing, mm -hmm. which depends on how the company does and your individual performance review, zero to 20% of your base salary. I don't actually know what the stock options are for other RF engineers. I don't know if my friends had stock options or what they do for that. But yeah, you're able to live fairly comfortably. In terms of variety with an education from college centered around physics and electrical engineering. How much variety do you have in terms of career choices? 
you study electrical engineering, I've been told you're, you're, you know, learning how to learn and solve problems. So you're not pinpointed to electrical engineering. Now, having a degree in electrical engineering sure does make it easier to get an electrical engineering job. I wouldn't say you're necessarily pinpointed into it. A lot of my friends that got electrical engineering degrees are now electrical engineers. Uh, other ones have become a mechanical engineer for one of my friends and a manufacturing engineer. So, you know, in the same general engineering umbrella, but you're not pinpointed to just electrical engineering. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today. As always, you can find additional details about Harley's path and RF engineers in our show notes. Thank you to Harley Berman for the insights, to Jonas Bjornstad for the music from his Waterboy album, Pixabay, Google, Descript, Anchor.fm, Patreon, and to you, our loyal listeners, for hanging with us for this episode of Job Talk. 